I think this is the area that we most want to get right for our son who has ADHD because I don't want him to have the monkeys on his back that I have. I don't want him to have to like not know or struggle with why his thinking isn't what he wants it to be. I don't want him to have to struggle and form, quite frankly, damaging rituals or behaviours or self-remonstration. Like the blame that I applied to myself and pushed myself, it was punitive. Welcome to the School Behaviour Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Corrigan. My co-host is Emma Shackleton, and we're obsessed with helping teachers, school leaders, parents, and of course, students when classroom behaviour gets in the way of success. We're going to share the tried and tested secrets to classroom management, behavioural special needs, whole school strategy, and more, all with the aim of helping your students reach their true potential. Plus, we'll be letting you eavesdrop on our conversations with thought leaders from a around the world so you'll get to hear the latest evidence-based strategies before anyone else this is the school behavior secrets podcast hi there simon Kurrigan here and welcome to this essentials episode of school behavior secrets in these mini essentials episodes i'm going to share one important bite-sized piece of information or a helpful strategy with you from a previous interview episode that you can start using immediately in your school or your classroom. It just helps keep these important concepts top of mind when we're being constantly bombarded with new information. In this Essentials episode, I'm going to share an insight into what it's like to both have ADHD and be the parent of a child with ADHD from my interview with John Booth in episode 16. Now, John's a good friend of mine who didn't actually receive his ADHD diagnosis until much later in life, in his 40s. And it was this event that finally helped him make sense of his time in school as someone who was bright and academically able and intelligent, but whose needs around ADHD weren't recognised which brought a whole set of potentially avoidable frustrations and challenges. This was, at times, quite a a powerful and moving discussion. I started by asking John if he could go back in time, what would he have wanted his teachers to know about the kind of challenges he was facing? I would have wanted to know that, you know, whatever they were saying to me about concentrate or pay attention is that however tough you were being on, they were being on me is nothing compared to how tough I was being on myself. It's weird being bright and being told you're bright and doing well in exams and then finding the entire course of your time at school a struggle. If you're bright and you're doing well, it shouldn't be at the cost of kind of perpetual struggle. So whatever you're saying to kids in terms of observing if they're not paying attention or struggling with small things, if they have ADHD, it's because that they are struggling with so much more in the background. Your brain is constantly processing a myriad of information that's just not useful for you at that time. Without a diagnosis and without techniques and without medication, you've got no way to, to kind of filter that out. It sounds draining. It is constantly draining. When I first actually had my medication as an adult, I remember kind of sitting down at work and then looking up and looking at the time. And the picture that immediately jumped into my head is that I felt like a cheat. The picture that I had in my head was athletes tie a big tractor tire around their waist and they, they're running down the track for resistance training. I genuinely felt that tire had been taken off me and that the medication I had had unlocked a part of me that I didn't deserve to have access to. 
And I raised this with my psychologist. That's what normal people think like. They don't have to fight themselves to sit down to do work. Did it change the way you looked at other people? Yes. I hope it's made me more empathetic generally. And, and you know, I think the process of going through a diagnosis and having therapy and understanding your own struggles, it's made me more interested in how the human brain works and how it affects us every day. Could you tell us a little bit about how you received your diagnosis later in life? Can you tell us sort of about what happened, what the journey was, and when did you first suspect that you had ADHD? I remember kind of seeing documentaries in the 90s, and I think it was around the discussion around medicating children in the States uh, with Ritalin. I remember there kind of being a public outcry, should children be medicated? And I remember then thinking, oh, those symptoms sound like something I've got. You know, I can't concentrate. I find it difficult to sit still. When I got my diagnosis, there were kind of two things. I was diagnosed at the age of 43. The first thing was that my mother was dying. She went through a kind of very long illness, about two years. And what happened was I, I kind of had a breakdown at work. And I went to my doctor and I was physically run down and not being able to deal with things. And I noticed my behavior was more erratic at work. And all the defenses and rituals that I would put in to manage my ADHD without knowing it, so all of my rituals about leaving the house and making sure I knew where my keys were or writing lists or going through preparation before meetings to kind of work out my nerves. I developed myself, my techniques were massively draining. And I just got to the point when I was traveling with work, seeing my parents at the weekend and the stress of my mom dying and raising two children is that I no longer had the mental energy to expend on the rituals that were holding my day-to-day functioning together. And they just started to collapse. I first noticed it at work. The second part of it was that my eldest son was having difficulties at school. My son's like me, he's bright, he's got lots of energy, but was struggling with certain lessons. We asked for him to be observed in class. We wondered whether or not the stress of his grandmother's illness was affecting him. To the same case, I spoke to my wife. She mentioned what his behavior was like in class. And my wife said, oh, that sounds a lot like my husband, you know, not sitting still, kind of high energy, talking full of ideas, not knowing what to do next. It was my wife, actually, that first said, oh, I think my son's got ADHD and I think my husband's got ADHD. And so when the combination of me struggling at work and having therapy and support at work came together with that diagnosis, I I mentioned it to my psychologist and the psychologist said, yeah, John, we're about two or three sessions away from you coming to that conclusion yourself. So I actually got my diagnosis initially through my son. And that's actually quite common. And I found out that parents of my generation, I was born in the mid 70s, It's through their kids having a diagnosis that they're coming to grips with and beginning to understand that they have ADHD. We do see that quite a lot, actually, in our line of work. Yeah, it's it's really hereditary. There's also very strong correlations with things like forcep delivery and also if your parents smoked and I was both of those things as well. Did it change the way you viewed your earlier experiences? Did you kind of reinterpret them or look at what happened to you in a different way after getting the label? Yeah, it did in a way. I don't know if you're familiar with Mo Molan. She was an English partition. She was the Northern Ireland secretary, wasn't she? Yeah. Well, Mo Molan was diagnosed and eventually died of a brain tumour. And when Mo Molan found out about her diagnosis, one of the things that Mo Molan said is that the tumour was on the frontal part of the lobe, which moderates behaviour and, you know, can make people more spontaneous or more direct. And my mum said one of the most challenging things for her was 
and she struggled with the initial part of like how much of Mo Molan was Mo Molan and how much of her was actually the, the physiological change which caused the psychological change in her. And that's kind of quite similar to your ADHD diagnosis initially, because you think, well, would I be gregarious with it? Would I be spontaneous? All the things that I like about myself, would I be creative? And things that worked really well for me in my career as a kind of friend and a husband and dad, you know, spontaneous and fun and creative, all the things that I think I am. A lot of those are definitely attributable to ADHD. Bad behaviours, you know, compulsions, like sometimes like a bit too much to drink. People with ADHD have a much higher propensity for um, substance abuse. And you kind of think, well, you know, is that attributable to my ADHD? So I think your early diagnosis really kind of calls into question, you know, who am I? And I think that's natural for anything. And over time, you make your peace with it because you are who you are. But you do need the space and the support. You're not someone with ADHD. You're just someone. Your ADHD is just part of your mental makeup. So it sounds like it's a piece of the jigsaw that helps you kind of understand who you are. It's more of a piece of the jigsaw that explains why you think like you do or what your mental process is. I guess in the way that you might compensate if you had an injury, if someone has a physical disability of some sort, they will compensate in, in life and they'll understand that you know there are limitations of that. Whereas when you have a cognitive disability and one like ADHD, which actually is in some respects quite hidden and it's very easy just to have labels for what people will call their general kind of personality makeup. What the label helps you understand is how your brain works. And it's the start of the journey to managing that and accepting that that I think that the label and the diagnosis helps with. If you had received a diagnosis earlier in life and you had the knowledge you had now about compensating for those difficulties, how would it have affected your experience of school and growing up? I think this is the area that we most want to get right for our son who has ADHD because I don't want him to have the monkeys on his back that I have. I don't want him to have to like not know or struggle with why his thinking isn't what he wants it to be. I don't want him to have to struggle and form, quite frankly, damaging rituals or behaviours or self-remonstration. Like the blame that I applied to myself and pushed myself it was punitive. I'd punish myself when I got things wrong. I'd punish myself when I forgot things. And it's that's quite a natural reaction because what you're doing is you're trying to correct behavior. And, you know, it's very hard to correct behavior kindly when you're a kid because all you think is, well, I should stop doing this. You know, often you'll just tell yourself to stop things. The thing that would be different with me is that I wouldn't remonstrate with myself. I wouldn't have had the stress that I had when I was going to school, I'd have actually been able to make sense of why at certain times I wasn't ready to think or I needed certain conditions to help me think, you know, like a clean, tidy desk so I have less friction before I start work. If I'd have had my diagnosis, I'd had a series of techniques um, that are directly related to my condition. I'd have had an understanding of it, why I was thinking like that. So I wouldn't be grappling with the additional stress of what's wrong with me and the questions of why am I not fitting in? Why do I feel different? And then I think eventually with a diagnosis, I'd have had the opportunity to have medication and the benefits of medication are, are profound and almost universally positive. I think the studies show that ADHD is the most treatable and most effectively treatable psychological learning disability. So I'd have had those three things in place, which have made school you know, more enjoyable. I'd have got more out of it. And I've also would have known myself better. And I think that's really, really powerful. And I'd have been much happier at school which is what we want for our child. 
What's been the impact of medication in terms of being able to work and focus? How has it changed things for you that way? Night and day difference, an absolute night and day difference. What ADHD is, is your brain is constantly seeking stimulus and it will create its own stimulus if it doesn't have it. So that's why lots of kids with ADHD have intrusive thoughts. It's why they just blurt things out. I think there's this myth, isn't there, that people lose attention, but they don't. Their attention shifts. There's also that kind of concept of hyper-focus, which people with ADHD can have. So they can be incredibly focused, which is why, from an outside perspective, it must be difficult. Which is like, well, we can sit there and engage in this, but not this. What the medication does is actually it gives your brain the stimulus, which means that your brain is able to actually focus on what's in front of it. The medication is basically an amphetamine derivative. And it's just designed to give you, your brain that level of stimulation it's seeking. Medication-wise, acts like white noise, which then allows you to reach that sense of quiet and focus without fighting your physiology and your psychology. And that was John Booth talking about his experience of having undiagnosed ADHD in childhood. And I think what that interview gives us is a really powerful insight into the real person behind the label and the invisible difficulties your students might be facing in the classroom and the difficulties your parents might be facing supporting their kids at home. If you want to hear the full interview, which contains some really emotional moments that I think a lot of educators need to hear, head back to episode 10 and I'll put a direct link in the episode description. And that is all we've got time for today on this Essentials episode. If you've enjoyed listening today, please remember to rate and review us. It takes just 30 seconds, and when you do, it prompts the algorithm to recommend School Behaviour Secrets to other listeners, and that helps us grow the podcast and reach other teachers, school leaders, and parents just like you. It really does make a difference. And while you've got your podcast app open... Do remember to hit subscribe so you never miss another episode. Thanks for listening and I look forward to seeing you next time on School Behaviour Secrets.